Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is March 13th, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in Spring Forward, B.C. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I know I say this twice a year, but I've been in Saskatchewan for 18 plus years now, and I do not miss changing my clocks at all. No, and it seems like such a trivial little thing, but it's not. I mean, the fall, it's wonderful. Like, you get that extra hour, you feel rested. Um, believe it or not, there is a 25% decrease in car accidents the week after. Um, there's a 25% decrease in heart attacks after in that week after uh, the time falls back an hour. Um, but the spring has the opposite effect. That following week after uh, after the hour springs forward, there is a twenty five percent increase in car accidents and heart attacks. Yeah, now remember you mentioning that before, and then uh, coincidentally enough, because I know you hate being right, there was a, uh, a post article that actually backed up exactly what you said. I believe I was either yesterday or the day before that I read that article, and yeah, that, and it was making the case for not moving the clocks and actually scolded your province of BC for not just uh, going it alone without Washington state. Yeah. Our province is really stupid and they're run and it's run by morons um, because the, the BC NDP put a motion forward a few years ago to eliminate the, the, the time change. And, um, but the caveat in that, bill was that they would only do it once Washington State, Oregon, and California followed suit as well. And that was because they were afraid that it would affect commerce between our province and those states because we're, we're supposed to be in the same time zone. Um, and, uh, and I'm like, this is, this is, uh, a typical Canadian thing to do. It's let's wait for big brother to do it first. Then us as the little brother will just run along behind. Um, instead of going, you know what? Somebody's got to do it first. Let's do it first. And honestly, with the way commerce is around the world, I mean, we're, we're doing business in every single time zone in the world. So who cares? Who cares if we're in two different time zones? Oh, exactly. And our largest trading partner, well, I shouldn't say our largest. The U.S. is our largest trading partner. Another one of our larger trading partners, China, doesn't observe daylight savings time. Mexico does not observe daylight savings time. So India does not observe daylight savings time. So really, we're looking at about half the world's population doesn't give a crap about flipping their clocks around. But here we are, diligently wearing ourselves down every twice a year by flipping clocks around. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, it's kind of a silly thing. I mean, it was all it, it, we we did it because we didn't have electric lights, and we wanted more daylight or daytime hours of daylight in the winter, and now. You know, we have we have electric lights. Like we don't need this anymore. Yeah, absolutely right. So, <laughs> so let's do away with this draconian, stupid. I, and I'm saying, and I'm I don't sound totally coherent because the daylight savings time time change is affecting my brain. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you mean you're not alone, and thankfully Saskatchewan is no longer alone, as the we are no longer the only province in Canada that does not move our clocks. Yukon has decided they're going to join Saskatchewan. How about the rest of Canada? Join us. It's better over here. What? The Yukon? But they're in our time zone. 
Not anymore, they're not, because you've moved ahead of them. Those bastards. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, exactly. Uh. All right, Canada, so on a programming note, apologies, we were not able to get you a show during the past week. Last Sunday was my fault. I was actually in a course, and so we couldn't get the show Sunday. So we thought, hey, let's go on Tuesday, like we uh, would typically do if we have to do a midweek show. Well, I was running late with my job Tuesday and Wednesday, so we said, let's do it Thursday. Well, then Lewis had something come up Thursday, so let's try Friday. Well, okay, that didn't work so well either, so uh, we're here for you. And we actually did record a separate segment before recording today's show, which we are going to publish after today's show, so you will get today's show and a bonus yeah we actually um we were in the middle of recording our episode on uh friday because we found we finally found a time where we both had free and uh and then right in the middle of the show i got a text from my wife and i had to rush home so (laughs) we only got one segment recorded (laughs) and uh so yeah that's that's the one that's gonna get released after the show today so yeah so let's get right to it canada on the show today get your memberships because the race is on how many refugees should canada take in gotta love those fuel prices Is it time for a guaranteed, livable, basic income? And more. Where do we start, sir? Well, let's start at the top. All right. So, actually, how about we we bang off the fuel prices, and then then we'll get the race going. So, you sent me a couple of very disturbing screenshots yesterday about the fuel prices in the beautiful Okanagan. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And they're not even the highest in BC, believe it or not. Um, That's awful. We, yeah. So uh, while everybody else in the country, well, in, you know, Alberta or Saskatchewan is going, oh my God, these high gas prices, a dollar sixty-seven. Yeah, I wish. Uh, most of the gas stations in the Okanagan Valley here are at one ninety-five or one ninety-six. Uh, the gas stations in Summerland are. Two fifteen a liter. Wow, and and, uh, and that's for regular gas. Uh, diesel is at the two dollar mark. Um, if in Kelowna, I believe it's at two oh five. Uh, it cost me two hundred and sixty dollars to fill the uh, tank on my Duramax diesel. Um, my. Uh, uh, I do know that the gas prices in Vancouver are higher. Uh, they were because they have an additional um, transit tax that the rest of the province doesn't have, and uh, and I believe they're at like uh, two thirty two for wow. regular gasoline. Yeah, that's obscene. And uh, this was yeah, so you so you guys out there in Alberta and Saskatchewan, yeah, 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 go cry in the corner. I'm not listening. Yeah. Well, no kidding. I uh, I was actually beside myself when the price was a dollar seventy eight per liter, and then I went to my local Costco yesterday and saw they had their gas at a dollar sixty three point nine, and I uh, I had to send you the the text saying you know this is quote cheaper gas, which of course it's not because it's still a buck sixty three point nine. But then you sent me those screenshots, and I realized I better just shut up. <laughs> yeah, if you know it's good for you. Yeah, that was obscene that you're paying, well, 40 cents more, more per liter than my local Costco anyway. Wow. Well, that's what it's like living in the People's Republic of BC. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> All right. So, Canada, um, Lewis, have you got your Conservative Party of Canada membership yet? I don't, but I think I will. Well, the time has come now, Canada, because the race is officially on. The party has set the rules for the leadership race, and that is candidates have until April 19th to declare their interest in running for leadership. Candidates will have until June 3rd to sell memberships that will be eligible to vote in said leadership election. And 
They didn't listen to us, Lewis. The leadership vote is not until September 10th. I know, I saw that. I was like, this is everything we asked them not to do. Yeah, like that's a six-month bloody campaign. Yeah, I don't know why that's needed. It's like, I know that they they want to use that time to get people to get to know their candidates, but let's be real. I mean, if the two, if the, if there's, there's two top candidates right now, and most people in Canada know who both of them are. Um, the other ones, I, I don't even know why they're trying to be honest. I mean, they, they've got to know that nobody knows who they are or they just don't have a shot when Pierre Poliev is in the race. Yeah, well, exactly right. And uh, we'll name those candidates now. Uh, so far declared, there are four. Uh, a fifth one is actually set to declare this morning. Uh, so uh, that will be after our show is recorded. But Pierre Polyev was right out of the gate to announce his candidacy, well, as soon as the vacancy came up. And has already received, what, 40 MPs support? Yeah, well, 41 and counting one in the... There was an MP in the Okanagan who actually... Uh, or maybe it was North Okanagan, somewhere in your area, that had just yeah. uh, just declared. So I think that one made 41 MP endorsements. So that's one-third of the Conservative caucus right there. Yeah. And uh, Jean Charest made it official. He entered the race on Thursday. Leslin Lewis entered this past Tuesday. Roman Babber... Um, uh, who? <laughs> exactly. He was an Ontario Progressive Conservative MPP who made a stand against lockdowns and vaccine mandates and was subsequently kicked out of the Ontario PC caucus and sat as, well, still sits as an independent MPP. Um, That's all we can say about him. That's all we know. And today, Patrick Brown, who first said he was out because he was happy being mayor of Brampton, apparently now he's going to be in. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, both of those guys, I mean, Patrick, we can do without Patrick Brown. I mean, that guy comes with so much baggage, whether, I mean, I know that he was exonerated, but he still comes with baggage. He does, and yes, uh, and you're right, he is exonerated. His lawsuit with CTV is now being settled because the, uh, in case you don't know Canada, Patrick Brown was the leader of the Ontario PCs up until about three weeks before the last provincial election when there was allegations of some sexual misconduct with a couple ladies that turned out to be false allegations. But he stepped aside as PC leader, entered Doug Ford. Um, Patrick Brown resurfaced, uh, became mayor of Brampton, and now has decided maybe it's time that he wants to be prime minister. But exonerated, yes, but it's one of those things, the stigma is always going to be attached, and it's going to come up again, even just the stigma. So do we want a prime minister who's going to keep on fighting this kind of stuff in the court of public opinion? Oh, wait, we have one of those already. (laughs) (laughs) Except the court of public opinion seems to forget everything that he's ever done. Yeah, exactly. but, But, and I've said this so many times, a conservative, the Canadians never forget what a conservative has done or been accused of. Whereas a liberal, it's like the worst possible allegations could come out about them. And five minutes later, everybody's like, what? I don't remember that. Well, that's right. Yeah, they just skate. So uh, we'll go through the candidates that we have so far. So Pierre Polyev, anybody who listens to this show probably knows him quite well because I've had a man crush on him for ages. Um, Without a doubt, he's the front runner. There's no question about that. They're all chasing him. Now, yeah. Jean Charest, you and I talked about him on previous shows, but he deserves some more mention. He's, well, he's not exactly what you'd call social media savvy. His new Twitter account that he began with, and he put out an announcement video, which was almost as exciting as the course I was in last weekend. Just a little bit more exciting than watching paint dry. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, he's he's selling Canada on the fact that he's a fiscal conservative and 
he says he can win. And then I is, I, is he really a fiscal conservative? Because in every position of power he's ever had, he has raised taxes. Well, he's raised taxes, and people forget that he led the the federal Progressive Conservative Party from 1993 to 1998 and left that party $10 million in debt. Yeah. I mean, the guy is not a fiscal conservative, and yet the media is towing that line. They're, they're saying he's a, social, or he's a, uh, a fiscal conservative and, and all this, and I'm like... Why? Because he said so? Like, he's not. <laughs> well, he's, not a, he's not a fiscal conservative. He raised taxes all across the board in Quebec when he was premier. And he was a liberal premier, by the way, because he is an, he's the worst kind of politician. He's an opportunistic politician and will change his coat of many colors as many times as he wants, just if it gets him to the... Uh, to the seat of power. Well, that's I just mean, it. Yeah. No, there was not. He's that the guy is not a conservative. He he is. He, I wouldn't even say he's a liberal. I would just say that he is whatever he needs to be to get elected. Well, that's a good way to put it. And I had to laugh because he uh, he of course says he's from Quebec. He can win Quebec. He's well known in Quebec. And then I read they hate a, him in Quebec. And that's the article I was reading yesterday. It said that he's not liked in Quebec either. So what the hell does he think he's doing? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. He, I mean, the guy is a very, a very good speaker. Um, he's he's uh, articulate and well spoken, but um, that's about all I can say about him. Well. That really is all you can say about him. And I know when he first was asked about the leadership, I amused that he is yesterday's man. And seeing how he has kicked off his campaign, he is. He's still using 15 to 20-year-old uh, political strategies in his campaign launch. So good yeah. luck, Mr. Sheree. Good luck. And not, and not only that, I mean, how many times did we think he was in and then he was out? And then he was in, and then he was out. And now all of a sudden he's in. It's well, like, yeah. it's like I, I don't want, we don't need wishy-washy. No. And, and he's wishy-washy in every way, right? I mean, like, he didn't know if he was in, but then he was out. Then he was in, then he was out, then he's in again. And it's like, he, he's, he's wishy-washy that way. He's wishy-washy with what he actually stands for, because... Have to stand for whatever he needs to to get elected, um, and and it's like we've got the national media basically saying that anybody um, he's basically the national media saying he's from Quebec, so he's good, yeah. and and it's yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he's from Quebec, the, therefore the sooner, he's the bridge builder. Yeah, the sooner these national media outlets lay off all their political commentators the better. I mean, CTV's already started in Vancouver, so... Well, good. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that, there was, it was Evan Solomon, he had Brad Trost and Tasha Carradine on to talk about the leadership race, and Tasha Carradine very openly is backing Jean Charest, and any question Evan Solomon asked of the two of them, Tasha Carradine was just an infomercial for Jean Charest, and I thought that was really, really unfair to have somebody who has openly said she will be supporting Jean Charest on to be one of your, you know, neutral, non-partisan commentators. Yeah, well, I mean, they do that all the time, right? They I do. mean, CTV and CBC both do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know about Global because, like, watching their political coverage is painful. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, and when I see, and if I'm saying that about Global, it's you know, it's got to be really bad because it's painful watching CBC's coverage too. Oh, it is, um, yes. CTV is actually pretty good, um, and Vashi Capellos on, on CBC is good. But other other than that, I mean, it's 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 really tough to watch because um, Nick Nanos is always brought on as the uh, neutral pollster, right? When <laughs> the dude might as well be wearing a liberal flag on his chest. Well, exactly. I, yeah. So, uh... I mean, every every poll that guy does skews to the liberals more than any other polling company 
Yeah, that's true. You mean you're absolutely right. And I, I got to give Brad Trost credit because he is well known as a social conservative. But when uh, he was asked questions, he actually was trying to be, you know, fair and diplomatic to everybody. And he even said, you know, as far as Leslie Lewis is concerned, we'll talk about her now. Um, yeah. He had he had even said that, you know, she probably needs to exp expand her tent beyond just the social conservatives. And, you know, he laid out a good argument that, yeah, well, she could be a social conservative, but she's going to have to be more. And I thought, well, that's great because Tasha Carradine just says Jean Charest is the man, period. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Leslie Lewis, I've said this before. I said this in the last leadership race, too. Um, as long as she is a social conservative, she will not win. And even if she did become leader of the, of the party, the party's fortunes would, would just be pummeled in the next election because I mean we had a social conservative in Andrew Scheer and uh, and that's all the media and the opposition focused on and Canadians don't want a social conservative and I mean I'm a conser like I'm a conservative I don't want a social conservative I it, it's Social conservatism is dead in this country, and um, you can't win an election as a leader if you're a social conservative. It just won't happen. Well, I and, think that's that, that's true. I uh, mean, I'm a, I'm pro life. I don't consider myself to be a social conservative based on that view, but. I think that where Andrew Shear went wrong and where Leslie Lewis would go wrong too, because she doesn't have the experience. Andrew Scheer should have just worn that label and said, yes, I am a social conservative, but above all, I am a conservative and this is what I believe, it, you know. But instead, he he seemed to be really surprised that people would ask him about, you know, his Catholic views and being a social conservative. And he tried to, you know, sort of shy away from that. I think if they, I mean, maybe I'm being pie in the sky. I mean, if a liberal come out and say, yeah, I'm a social conservative, it would, the issue would be dead and they'd carry on. And so maybe it wouldn't be the case with a, a conservative, but I think you could just own it and, and, and then keep walking. Yeah, I mean, in my personal life, I am pro-life. I would never, my wife and I could never uh, opt for an abortion. There's just no way. My wife and I are both of the same mind. We're both, we're both pro-life. Um, but is it my place to tell someone else? And no, no, absolutely um, not. And, and it's and and if you're going to do that, then you have to live with the consequences. You have to live with what you've done. Like it's no matter how you look at it, there is no other way to look at it than you are taking a life. And if you're going to take a life, you have to live with that. And and that's and that's how I look at it. Um, I don't think we can possibly have a social conservative as leader of the party again because it just will not work out for the conservatives. And Leslie Lewis, I mean, I I I admire. You know what she's accomplished in her life, but she's skipping a few steps here. Um, she needs to, you know, put in her time, uh, earn that spot um, instead of just going. You know, I'm going to be the leader. I'm going to be the prime minister. When she's got what three months as an MP, basically, yeah. So yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, she. Uh kind of is putting the cart before the horse so yeah be an mp get your name out there and and really this will help increase her profile running for leadership again but, i mean she'd be, she'd be a great senior cabinet minister oh for sure she was she's smart she's very articulate she's yep. willing to learn french she is learning french i should say so yep. I mean, yeah she's got a lot going for her for sure and, and i would and i'd be supportive of her running for leader again uh as long as you know she tones down the social conservatism and does what you said right saying yeah in my own life i could never do that i am pro-life but it is not my place to tell you 
to be pro-life. Right. right? Yeah. And it's not my place to enforce my moral and ethical beliefs on you. Right. And, and if Andrew Shearer had just done that, maybe the, maybe he'd still be leader. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so we're going to leave Patrick Brown alone because I don't know much about him. And until he actually declares, and which is later today, we'll uh, we'll touch on him on our next show. So, sure. uh, so let's talk a little bit about the refugee situation. Oh, uh, no, there's this Roman guy. Oh, right, Roman Babber. Whoops. Uh, it, 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 I think that's indicative of what we were, what we're about to say about him. Right. <laughs> Who? Yeah, he, well, really, he. I appreciate that he's stood by his convictions as far as he was against mandates, he was against mandatory vaccinations. Good for him. We had covered him briefly on a past show when he had brought forward a motion in the Ontario Parliament, or provincial legislature, saying that MPPs should take the pay cut and live on CERB money while Ontario was locked down so they could actually identify with their constituents. Um, and in a true, true show of maturity, all the other MPPs changed the motion and suggested that that serve money uh, salary should only apply to Roman Babber. Yeah. Which was yeah, really we, dumb, but... Yeah, which I, I found very disappointing. Um, and I remember we, we talked about that on the show and how disappointed we were in the uh, rest of the PC party. Um, it's, uh, I think he was right. He was. I mean, yeah. if, if the members of parliament and the members of the provincial legislatures had to live on CERB, uh, we would not have been locked down as long as we were. No, exactly. So, I mean, I, I admire his integrity and I, I admire that he's taking a shot at this, but he has just about as much chance of winning as you and the Okanagan have of having a snowstorm in August. Yeah, no, exactly. It could happen, but... And I mean, mean, I don't know much about the guy, but from what he has, like all the controversy around him, um, which I don't think should be controversial, (laughs) um, I, I, I like him from what I know of him, which isn't much. Um, but again, like Leslin Lewis, he's putting the cart before the horse. He, nobody knows who he is and he thinks that he can be leader and prime minister. It's like, you need to put in some more time. You need to, um, you need to be an MP. You need to be an MP for a while. I mean, it's one of those things where the most important job in the country is I mean, look what look what happened when we put an idiot in that position. I mean, it's done. We gotta. It, it's like if you look at the United States, the president is the most important job in the country, and it's always done by a rookie. Yeah. <laughs> because you you're never there more than eight years. Right. And so it's always done by someone who's never done the job before and or or a job like it before. And so in and in Canada, I mean, you if you are an MP, you're in the shadow cabinet and then uh, and then you become a minister. Then you are prepared for that role. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And I think everybody who runs for that needs to have done at least some of that. I mean, I mean, not, not, I know not everybody's going to be able to be a minister before they're the leader because you, that means you have to be in the governing party. But I mean, if that was a prerequisite, the, the, the dippers would never have a leader. Um, but you got to at least be in a shadow cabinet or like being a, a critic, right? Just so that you get that media experience you get the house of commons experience and uh and being a leader in your own party right like one of the leaders in your own party before you ever become the leader yeah i think that's true so all right so we got a couple more topics to crank off here let's talk a bit about refugees now this is uh 
it's a unique situation, but it's not. Um, there's the war in Ukraine everybody knows about. I don't want to talk too much about that because the propaganda is strong on both sides. Oh, my God. Do you have any idea what's really happening over there? Well, exactly, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't have any idea. No. I mean, apparently, apparently the Ukrainians have a, have a fighter pilot who's shot down, like, 50 planes. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, uh, most, most prolific fighter jet pilot in the history of the world, and he did it in, like, six days. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, whatever. Yeah. That's why the Russians are knocking on your front door, right? Is because you got this fighter pilot that is just picking them apart, but yet they keep advancing. Okay. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> that, 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 that's like, a, probably a good way like, to summarize the war. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that meme I, I saw. I, I think I sent it to you. And it's this Ukrainian uh, soldier, all by himself and a pocket knife, have taken out like half the Russian naval fleet. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. The, yeah, the, the shark of Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, the shark of Ukraine. <laughs> or the shark of Kiev, I think it's called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so... I have no idea what's really happening over there, so I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, so we've got... Uh, we do have a refugee uh, exodus going on. They said there's so far about a million and a half people have left Ukraine and have mostly gone into Poland or Romania or Hungary, other you know countries that border Ukraine. And so, of course, our government says, well, Canada can take some. And I'm actually going to give credit to a liberal cabinet minister. So uh, Market Canada at 31.50 of the show. I'm going to say that Immigration Minister Sean Fraser is actually doing some good work here. He's actually making an effort to bring in some refugees and I give him full credit that he is not scrapping the visa program because I want to know who everybody is. But he has said by bringing in refugees in the visitor program, we can bring in, quote, an unlimited number of refugees, which already I don't like. And he did say, you know, there's most of these people will be going, will go back once things are settled in Ukraine. Well, we don't know when that's going to be. And here's what bothered me the most is he had said, we need to prepare for the, the, most refugees that will come here will be women with children and that we will need to make certain that the social supports will be in place because they will likely not be working and will need to stay home to take care of the, their kids. And I thought, um, don't we want to bring somebody here who could contribute to the Canadian fabric? Like, um, I'm all for helping people out. I'm all for bringing in as many people as we can that we can handle as a country, but our social safety net is stretched to the limit right now. So do we want to bring in potentially hundreds of thousands of people who are going to access that social safety net even further? Yeah. Our social safety net is more than stretched to the limit. It's, it's, it's actually failing at the moment. It is. And, I mean, our healthcare system is falling apart as we speak and it's, um, yeah, I mean, we, we don't we don't need more people to take care of. I mean, this I mean, I really feel for everybody in Ukraine. I I I hope that they get to safety and that you know they they can escape the war. But Canada is not really the place that needs to be doing this. I mean, we I mean, call me selfish, but I don't want our healthcare system to collapse. I don't want our, our, uh, uh, our other social safety net programs to collapse. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind if some of them were scrapped, but I don't want the, the our, our system here to, to collapse under the weight of the pressure that's being put on it. I mean, we're already watching our healthcare system crumble. I mean, especially here in BC, where we fired like four thousand healthcare workers for not being vaccinated, and now tens of thousands of people don't have doctors anymore that had doctors last week. Yeah, and, and it's—I uh, mean, I'm never going to be opposed 
to bringing in people who need help. I mean, that's that's what we do as Canada. That's how our country was settled. Yeah. But we need people that can contribute something to the Canadian fabric. And I really feel sorry for the the uh, Afghan interpreters. We've brought in so far 8,000 of the 40,000 we promised we would bring to Canada. And Mr. Fraser says the difference is with the Afghans, their intent is to stay and become Canadian citizens. Fantastic. I'm happy to have that. And yeah. then he says, well, we, we brought in so far 7,500 people from Ukraine who may go back. They said, well, and Saskatchewan, our immigration minister here said, we want to be the go-to destination for, for Ukrainian refugees coming to Canada. So I guess we're going to be dealing with some in Saskatchewan. I just want them to be able to contribute something. I mean, uh, it. happy to bring them, but please, just uh, that we have jobs to fill. Come fill some. If you're going to come here and just stay home and take care of your families, I have a problem with that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we're going to leave that one there, Canada, because we've got a big topic to wrap the show up with. This just came to my attention actually yesterday. A friend of mine had sent this to me, and I did not even know this bill was actually in the works in the House of Commons. It's already passed first reading, which is doesn't mean a lot, but because it, it has to go through three readings, get voted on, become law, go to the Senate to be... Uh, approved there so we got a long ways to go but a private member's bill sponsored by leah gazan who is an ndp mp from winnipeg center is bill c223 remember that number canada it is an act to develop a framework for a guaranteed livable basic income and who predicted this was going to come Oh, let me think. He, some knob from BC who uh, co-hosts a little podcast. You! That was it. It was you. Yes, it was me. <laughs> yep. And, and here we are. And what scares me with this one is Senator Kim Pate. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. Um, who is part of the Independent Senators Group. She was appointed by Mr. Trudeau in 2016. Has also introduced a Senate Bill 223 to coincide with this uh, House Bill 223. So we have C-223 for the Commons, S-223 for the Senate Bill. What they want is to develop a national framework that the Minister of Finance must develop to implement a guaranteed livable basic income program nationwide for anyone over 17 years old, including, and you're going to love this, Canada, especially you folks in Southern Ontario, you're going to love that that includes temporary foreign workers like the folks who come and work in the tomato patches around uh leamington for any permanent resident and oh this ties in with our ukraine segment and refugee claimants yeah i don't it's such a joke i mean a livable basic income stops being livable when everybody gets it because the cost of everything goes up because hell, I mean, it's what happened. All you have to do is look at the university program and see that when the government started uh, guaranteeing student loans, the cost of university went through the roof. Yeah, that's right. Because, and, uh... and so when the government starts guaranteeing a certain amount of money for people every month, the cost of things go through the roof. And a lot of it is because our taxes have to go up to pay for this stuff. Um, the And, and the uh, uh, or they're just printing money like they did for the last two years and just devalue the crap out of our currency because there's just so much of it that it's worth so much less. Oh, exactly. So now part of the act, the minister has to determine what constitutes a livable income for each region in Canada to ensure individuals can lead a dignified and healthy life in their local markets. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know what that uh, any leftists listening are going to say, this was already tried in Canada in Dauphin, Manitoba. It was, and if it was so successful, well, why is it not still in place in Dauphin or in Manitoba or in Canada? Yeah, I mean, and and there is there is a political system that 
uses the you know basic income uh, as their uh, as their their center point. That's true. What what system is that, by the way? I believe it's called communism. That's right. It is because it's to each according to their need and from each according to their ability. I mean, we just spent two years with a universal basic income called CERB, and nobody could find employees. Well, exactly. That That's the part that, that worries me the most, because they've uh, also got in the bill they need to create national standards for health and social supports that complement the universal basic income. So now I'm thinking, okay, so this is not going to be taking the place of, say, child tax benefits, welfare, other income supplements? That That's what I read out of it. I don't know if that's what they mean, but it doesn't sound like it's replacing anything. It sounds like it's going to be on top of everything. Yeah, just more free stuff, more free money. And it's like, we already had that for two years here, and it proved that it doesn't work. It proves that it hurts the economy it proves that small businesses cannot find people to work because they because so many people would rather sit at home playing video games collecting a little bit of money just barely scraping by than actually going out and working for a living oh yeah and when i um our regular listeners know I ran for office in the 2020 provincial election in the in the fall of 2020 here in Saskatchewan. There was one candidate's forum I, I took part in where the Green Party leader provincially here was, was in the forum as well. And she summed it up beautifully because she said, because you know, they were in favor, of course, of a guaranteed basic income. And she had said that, I mean, it would be great if, if, Someone could enjoy a Saskatchewan summer without having to worry about where where their next meal was going to come from. And if they wanted to take on a new project in life, like painting or, and she named off a few other of these, uh, more artistic careers that don't tend to make a lot of money. And I thought, ma'am, you are actually making the case against what, what you propose right now, in my mind. Because, yeah, she said, oh, if you just wait... People can take take a summer off if they need to, or in my case, I would take the winter off because I hate driving on ice. So, um, hard pass. Yeah, hard pass. And you're going to love this. This is the last note I wrote down about Bill C-223, and that is, the minister must ensure that participation in education training or the labor market is not required in order to qualify for a gay basic guaranteed livable income. Oh, fantastic. Don't you dare try to better yourself or you won't get that basic income. Yeah. Oh my God. This is, I was just talking about this with my kids and I said, you know, there used to be this thing called survival of the fittest and we don't have it anymore because now we have to ensure the survival of every single person in society and be, and what happens when we do that is the people that would not have survived a hundred years ago or 200 years ago or 300 years ago now survive and they and they procreate and they and they raise little people to be just like them and those people multiply and multiply and the successful people, the ones that work hard in life and, and provide for their family, they have one or two kids. And, and, uh, and, and you see this where these, these people who depend on the state to continue living and to continue feeding themselves, they have like four or five kids. And over time, and I think we're, we're, we're at that point right now, the, the mooches, the leeches, outnumber the ones that see the value in hard work and, and everything, and, and they outvote us now. I think that's true, and 
Now, I know, Canada, you're thinking Lewis might be coming off sounding a little harsh here. Our social safety net, I mean, our welfare, our EI, etc., those were never designed for people to make a living off of. Those were designed to help those people who can't survive on a temporary basis. And unfortunately, it is those parasites that you talk about that have decided that, no, no, I'm going to just make a living on this. And why would I want to work when I can collect welfare or collect a, a UBI, universal basic income? And I'm all for helping those who need it because everybody has a, down, a downstreak or a downturn in their life where they're down and out, they need a hand up. I'm not a big fan of handouts, and that is what this looks like to me. Yeah, exactly. I I needed help in my early 20s when I lost my job when I was living in Edmonton. And because oil, the price of oil went, you know, through the floor and everybody got laid off. And for four months, I couldn't find a job and and I was having a hard time making my rent and everything. And uh, and the EI program was there to help me. And it helped me. It didn't provide for me. It just helped me barely survive so that I could get another job. And I did. And I haven't used the EI program since. And that's what it was there for. Right. That's what it is there for. Exactly. And it, but what we have now, and if you are one of those people who believe in hard work and has always worked hard their whole life, You'll be surprised to hear what kind of programs there are out there. Like, um, we know somebody that um, she has two kids. She's single. She doesn't. She's a serial um, employee. Like, she just goes from one job to the next job to the next job to the next job because she's always being mistreated at her jobs and yet she collects a ridiculous amount of money from the government every month because she is single underemployed and has two kids and she she actually makes more money just from the government than people working minimum wage full time and she is allowed to work up to I believe it's 20 hours a week and keep all of that income from the government. Wow. So any job she takes, she tells them I can only work part time so that she can, so that she can keep getting all that money from the government. And by government, you mean you and I exactly all other tax paying, hardworking Canadians. Yeah. And there are probably Hundreds of thousands of people in Canada doing this. Oh, for sure there are. Yeah, it's and, uh, it's sad. And if we allow this to continue into a basic livable income, and I love those words because they're so vague. Um, well, but they sound so nice. They really do, don't they? Oh. Yeah. A basic sound, livable income. All yeah, we want to do is just live a livable income. That's it. Yeah, they sound. It sounds so compassionate. And, That's it. Yes, and caring. Yeah, and and in and in fact, what it's doing is it's 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 actually hurting those that it's meant to help. That's a good, really good point. Because yeah, you're right. It disincentivizes people to work or go to school or better themselves in any way. It's yeah. Uh, it's, it's the same thing as uh, as minimum wage laws. Um, when they get to ridiculous levels like they are now, where they're well, like where where they're over fifteen bucks an hour, um, because uh, for you know for fifteen bucks an hour, like no sixteen year old or fifteen year old or fourteen year old should be making fifteen or sixteen bucks an hour. No, they're not worth it, and so they don't. They, those people stop getting hired. I mean, why do you think McDonald's has all these self-serve kiosks? It's because it's actually cheaper to have those and they're more reliable than hiring 15 and 16-year-olds to take your order. 
Oh, yeah. And I, uh, I mean, this was obviously was a long time ago that I was a teenager, but I worked for $4 an hour. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're older than I am. yeah. <laughs> but I've lived most of my life in BC, so our minimum wage is always higher than everyone else's. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, But but yeah, I mean it's it's just it's it's kind of crazy. And uh uh if you want to completely destroy a country's economy, this is one way to do it. Yep, and that's probably a good spot to wrap the show up right there, Canada. If we actually allow Bill 223 to go through, we will collapse our economy because we're already on the brink. So I've actually already emailed my MP about this, and I asked point blank, why is it I haven't heard anything from you on this bill? And I think, Canada, you also should be contacting your MPs and ask that same question. Why am I hearing about this bill on some podcast when I should have heard about it from you? Exactly. And and why aren't they making a big stink about it? And that's the, that's the better question. Yeah. Why aren't you, uh, I don't know, opposing if you happen to be an opposition MP? Just asking. out So. All right, Canada, we're going to leave it there. And... Stay tuned. We're going to publish our bonus segment right after this show. So if you uh, haven't listened to that already, by all means, tune into that. And until next week, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. here in BC and at some point uh this week I'm probably going to release a rant on the ordering council gun ban that is coming due at the end of this month and there is still no buyback program in place Can't wait to hear it. all right have a good weekend canada and we'll talk to you next time good night Good night.